What's good, everyone? My name is Nick Ingvall, and welcome to the Outside the Box podcast, where my goal is to give you a different way to think about sneakers. Now, if you're just joining me for the first time, this podcast has been around for quite a while under a couple of different variations. Way back in 2015, I started this podcast with my friends Jacques Slade and Brandon Edler, and we ran into some snags with our schedules and our work, our jobs that kept us from keep, keeping up on the podcast, and eventually it took a break. Fast forward a couple of years, Jacques and I connected with Tiffany Beers, who you might know from designing the Nike mag, and we had a, a great run for a year or so, and eventually ran into similar snags and similar issues on scheduling, and it went on hiatus once again. But I'm really excited to bring it back and give it some new life and really focus on a different way to think about sneakers and the world of sneakers, the people behind the scenes that make things happen, the people that have turned their passion into a, a way to provide income for themselves and their families. So Outside the Box is getting a fresh start, starting with this episode. And of course, I couldn't think of a better person to start this episode than my friend Jacques Slade, who helped me from the very beginning with this podcast. So naturally, we wanted to talk about some of the things that he's done throughout his amazing career. I'm not even joking. Amazing career that really helped establish him as one of the most one of the most respected voices and, and you know, people in the sneaker game. I go through a variety of topics with Jacques and we talk about how he got started making YouTube videos. Uh, we talk about how you've got to really be focused and not on the wrong things because eventually you're going to be a creator and nobody's going to care what you create, whether you're just starting out or really, really successful and have all the numbers and money and followers and all that. Sometimes people just don't care. That's a challenge that I wanted to talk to him about. In addition, we talk about getting invited to the ESPY Awards, dealing with overzealous editors, how to build relationships that foster success for each other, the difference between being an influencer and a brand partner, and some of his goals, which includes directing a sneaker commercial. So I, I'm really excited to, to share this conversation with you. I'm really excited to relaunch the podcast and I just want to thank you for, for tuning in, for checking it out. If you like what you see, hit that like button, subscribe, leave us a review, drop us a comment, all those things. I really, truly appreciate it. And without further ado, let's get into this incredible conversation with my friend Jacques Slade. Let's see. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, this is nice, man. Oh, is this thing is this is this working? Oh, it's <laughs> no, been I a while, need, huh? I need to I need to be on sneaker <laughs> uh, on podcasts with Nick Ingvall more often. This is nice. <laughs> What's good, man? How you been? It's it's good to I, see your face. Yeah, good to see you too, man. I'm I'm good. You know, surviving the pandemic. I'm out, you know, fighting zombies. You know, I'm like good. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it, right, man? It's it's nonstop, nonstop. Something that every day is something new. Yes. It's, it's like, you know, it's zombies one day, witches, warlocks, like it's all here. Like you get it all during the pandemic. There is no there is no escaping all the things I saw in the movies as a kid at this point in 2020. We are fighting for our lives. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, I just decided since I'm stuck inside and, and trying to avoid getting people sick, even though, you know, I've been lucky and I haven't gotten sick, that I'd kind of revamp outside the box. And I figured if I'm going to do that, I have to talk to you because not only were we the last, uh, you know, along with Tiffany 
a year and a half ago, plus back in, in 2019. Yeah. But you and I and Brandon Edler started this yep. technically in 2015. So man, five years later, third time's charm, hopefully. <laughs> right, and, uh, right, right. We'll see, you know, hopefully. See, uh, we can see if we can keep it going. But I figured uh, this would be kind of a cool way to reintroduce the podcast, but also give the people that are subscribed specifically to this podcast a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more personal conversation with you, because that's one thing that I think we missed out in doing this back in the day, where we didn't really give people the kind of full background, so to speak, of, of mm. each of us that were hosting it over the years. Yeah. So for me, I, I I always think of the first time that I met you was in L.A. Uh, at a I want to say it was a sneaker pimps event. And if I remember right, it was the sneaker pimps event that the game was supposed to perform at and then backed out of. Gosh, I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember. I remember sneaker pimps, but I don't I don't remember who was supposed to perform. I definitely remember the sneaker pimps, though. Yeah. Yeah. They had like that that chain link fence display and a bunch yeah, of weird shoes the shoe. up there. Yeah. yeah. It was so, so cool. I love yeah. that. I love. Yeah. That. And I think that was kind of the. It, as crazy as it sounds, that was kind of the end of like the big Foot Locker foot action partnership. Right. I can't remember yeah. when that kind of shifted. But once Sneaker Con came into play and, yeah, and all these kind other, of what, you know, Dunk Exchange and all that came in, yeah. it, it shifted the whole landscape for what a sneaker event was. But that was really yeah. a cool event. And I just remember thinking, I think at that time. Man, I must have been at Soul Collector because I had to have been living in L.A., which would Gosh, have been what like year? What year was that? That was 2010. So I was at maybe 2009. Uh, I was at Kicks on Fire, I think. Yeah, I was at Kicks on Fire. Definitely. If it was 2010, I was at definitely at Kicks on Fire. Gosh, man, that was so long ago. Oh, right. So much has changed now, since, since then. Yeah, so I much mean, has changed in the world of sneakers. Like, wow. Just think of like the 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 blogs back then, right? Like, I think obviously you were writing for Kicks on Fire at that time, and fast forward to today, you know, occasionally you write, but like that's a very small piece of you know, it's, it's of what I it's do, like cherry on top, if anything. Yeah, because yeah, YouTube yeah. has taken over your entire life, essentially. So basically, um, basically, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, like I was, I was, I just wrote something for, uh, for Complex recently. And I was like, am I doing this right? Do I, <laughs> is, this, is this how you put a sentence together? I don't remember. <laughs> Does this make sense? Does this flow? And they were going, I saw them going through it, editing it. And I was like, yeah, just tear it apart. Tear it. You know, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> just break it apart and rebuild it. Let's make it bigger, better, stronger. And I was just like, man, I'm so out of practice. But it was good. It was good to kind of get back in there. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize, like you can be a writer, but that doesn't necessarily mean your words translate into what gets published, especially when you're writing for a big publication like Complex, right? There's yeah. so many people that are editing and suggesting things and saying, ah, oh, that doesn't really work, but let's talk about this. And by the time it's done, it's still 70 to 80% of, of you but there's a lot of things that have been changed and massaged to hopefully be better by the end of it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. This is where this is where you see the uh, if you get on Twitter and you like hashtag writers, you look up the frustration with editors and uh, you know editor in chief versus like you know taking basically taking apart what you've written and kind of rewriting it in their own vision um, and just using you as a vessel. <laughs> more or less and that's where like the real pure writer you see the frustrations that they have uh luckily for me i'm not I, I i'm not that dedicated to my writing so i don't i'm not married that too much to it um i think i think if they change the sentiment of it i would have a problem but if they're making changes i always feel like oh yeah make it better make it better i know like my writing is is, is crap can, can we cuss on can we cuss on this podcast can i say yeah like, yeah of cause, course yeah, of course because my, my writing is shit uh, so <laughs> I, was, I felt really British. Am I ain't shit? Um, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I really gotta like, yeah. So I, I just kind of just go with the flow because generally they're making my writing better. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's always the intention, right? Like it's never, I, I've been on both sides of that coin many times and it's really tough because your ego always wants to think that like, Hey, this is the best I did it the right yeah. way, regardless right. of what you're doing, right? Ab like absolutely. whether it's it's a YouTube video or writing or, you know, just even like social media posts. I think like people don't realize like a lot of people have teams of people you yeah. know, working on that. Right. So it's uh, it's one of those things, too, like especially on the social media side, you see people that are, you know, social media managers, community managers and that. But mm. to really have people that get the nuances of something like Twitter or Instagram or memes or any yeah. of those like things. Yeah. Sometimes it takes, it takes, well, you, you know, occasionally you run into a superstar at that stuff, but usually it's, it's three or four people going back and forth deciding, is this the right thing? How can we, how can we make this a little bit edgier, a little bit more, you know, catchy or, or something yep. that's a little bit more current or relevant to a particular topic. And I think that, you know, across everything, right. It's really tough to, um, it's, it's tough to, to, to find people that you want to work with that you trust where they're coming from and that they're not going to steer you wrong of, of where you want to go. Right. And yeah, absolutely. that's actually something that I think, you know, the few times, the, the couple of times that we've tried to do this podcast, um, and, and, you know, we, we did it for a good length of time, both times. Right. But yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I think that was the one thing that I really appreciated about our conversations and you and I obviously offline have these conversations all the time, but like, that's what makes a great kind of back and forth and, and conversation is the fact that you have that trust with people. Yeah. And I think that it takes a lot to get to that, you know, mm -hmm. with, with people, right. I it think does. that had you and I started a podcast in 2010, when we first met, it might not have turned out as good for anybody and it might've changed the dynamic of our relationship over time. Right. It, it yeah. was just such a different world then. And I think over time, you know, obviously you and I have built a lot of trust with each other. And I think when we've brought people into this or, or taken a different direction with our content, whether it be the podcast or YouTube or whatever, there's always an understanding there of like, no, this is what, what's gotta be done right now. And, and yeah. okay, let's, let's shift and go this way. And, and, Hey, maybe this is not the right time to push this. So, um, I guess one thing that I would like to get into a little bit is thinking about some of those moments where, you know, we, we got to in, in your journey where I was kind of on the, on the other side of that, right. Where, um, I mean, we, I feel like we pitched ideas to 
a hundred people minimum <laughs> over the years, right? Yes. Because yeah. we would have those marathon phone calls yeah. and just be like, okay, who can, who can, who can put the money up? Who can give us the, you know, shoes to do this? Who can give us the space to do this? What is this? What are all the pieces that have to come together for this idea? But before we go into that, what is, what, how, how did you really get into the sneaker world? Like what was that first kind of opportunity for you? And what did that look like? Cause obviously most people now know you and it's like, you're the superstar, you know, YouTuber. And right. <laughs> I think, I think there, there's a long journey for you to get to that point. And I yeah, don't want to yeah, like yeah. have, have people forgetting that that's what it takes. So tell us yeah, a little my, bit about that. My, my entry into the world, into the, I guess like the professional world of sneakers was through kicks on fire. So, uh, I was out of a job, uh, looking for just like random work and Jazare, who I'm sure uh, well, maybe not all of you. A lot of you may know Jazare, uh, big sneakerhead. And uh, she worked for Kicks on Fire and they were looking for some additional writers. And while I was looking for looking for work, um, she was like, yo, we got this opening. Do you want to write about Kicks? And I was like, sure. Like, you know, make a little extra money on the side. Obviously, you know, it was great back then. And uh, yeah, I just started writing. I was writing five posts a day for five bucks a piece. I was making like 25 bucks a day uh, writing about sneakers. Yeah, that's it's so crazy to think that now. Like, yeah, that's a it's a lot of work for for five bucks. To, yeah, anybody's yeah. done Especially like a blog back post. Then. Yeah. yeah, even back then, you know, you had to remember to tag and do all the all these sorts of things. But you know, it, it was it was exciting back then. You know, it was still it was still really new. It wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of people doing it. So you were part of you were really a part of a unique club. And yeah. um, you know, shout out shout out to Kicks on Fire. Shout out to Khan. Um, you know, he kind of, he, he, that, that job set me up to be where I am now. So if it, if I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would be here doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess to go, to go a little bit further into that, I remember having the conversations with you around making videos back then mm -hmm. for, you know, basically the same price. Um, yes. what, now were you making any kind of video content prior to that? Or was that kind of like, I'm just going to start doing this? I mean, obviously, you're a creative person, you've done a lot of different things. So I'm, I'm sure things existed, but not in a consistent way, right? Yeah, so I had, um, had I done any, I don't think I had put anything on YouTube before then that I had done myself, like I, I had made a rap music video. Um, but I don't think Outside of that, I don't think I had done anything else um, on my own channel. Um, yeah, I think that was the first time. So when I started doing videos for Kicks on Fire, that's when things uh, started. That's that's kind of that was the start of like my YouTube career, so to speak. Um, that was the most consistent thing that I had done, and I think that was in uh, I'm going to say March of 2010 is when I put up my first video for for Kicks on Fire. Um, and that that kind of came out of you know being like being into photography and then kind of watching what was happening on YouTube and like wondering like why aren't we doing why isn't Kicks on Fire doing something on YouTube what's the problem and then that kind of sparked the you know the the YouTube sort of revolution that you see now with uh with those sneakers yeah I'm trying to think like at that point you probably only have you know rich Kicks in the city. And maybe yeah. Fran Relations that had done yeah any type yeah there of was stuff on there YouTube? was 
there was Rich doing stuff. Uh, Fran was doing stuff. And then um, what's the other guy's name? Kicks. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. I feel terrible about that. Um, there was another guy doing it, doing it pretty consistently too. Um, gosh, I can't think of his name now. Um, but he, there, there were only like three people and like, like kicks on fire had done some stuff, but it was really inconsistent and it was really like very poorly done. Um, same thing with like nice kicks and like, no one was really doing it or treating it seriously back then. Everybody was kind of like, ah, well, we'll just throw, we'll just throw this up there kind of thing. Like we'll yeah. just do it just because we have access to it. Cause back, you know, back then it was still kind of, it was still like about print, you know, more, more or less back then, you know, it hadn't transitioned to like social and web and all that stuff. So it was still a very like print based world and like words and writing. It wasn't about video that the video revolution, so to speak, hadn't happened yet. Yeah. I mean, for me at that time, I think I was probably working with soul collector and yeah, we, we were still pretty much focused on print, right? We, you know, we weren't thinking about video hardly at all. Yeah. I think part of that was just because at the time too, the entry point to creating content online was pretty expensive to do it in a professional level way. Right. So as That's soul true. collectors, the print magazine, you know, we were we were really really focused on on that experience of the of the print magazine being yeah. a wow factor right and the pictures that you know the the, the team was taken back then Nick DePaula and Steve Mulholland and all those guys uh, and Zach uh, those those were all you know that was such a, a the bar was so high for the standard for Soul Collector right that was yeah. the challenge for us in like thinking about what video content could be so you know and and on top of that you know there was only man, there was only like 10 of us in total that I think that actually worked for Soul Collector and, and got a paycheck. And it was very minimal at that. And I think, oh, wow. you know, to, to really, even prior to that, I had, I had worked for nice kicks. Right. And I think, you know, even with, with Matt and, you know, having the, the, the photo stuff for Matt, like he did so good with the photography back then. I remember, I remember first time I ever saw the, the, like, plastic uh acrylic kind of like uh photo setup that he had in in the office mm. and just being blown away like this guy's taking sneaker photos on this right. but then that became a standard for for you know so many retailers and so many people but i oh, think absolutely i think it was also like the return on the investment right you could take pictures and do a blog post in a couple of hours but with you know a video especially with nobody really knowing how to, how to edit. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, just thinking of like my laptop at that time, I would have been able to hold one video on the laptop before the hard drive was full, you know, yeah, even, even at like true. 720p or something like that, it would have been just incredibly expensive for me to go down that path. So, um, so how did that go for you? Like, with Khan and with Kicks on Fire, did you just say like I'm just going to try to do this, or was it like a, a back and forth of like, hey, are we doing this? Like, what was the kind of tipping off of that whole change for you? Um, I think he kind of gave me free reign to kind of do like, because at that point, like I had kind of rose in the ranks, so to speak, at Kicks on Fire, and so I just started making videos. Um, 
I, I just kind of did it on my own. Like I was like, I have this idea. I want to make it. And so I did the first one and he was like, cool. But he, I don't think even he, he didn't see the value in it back then. Um, and so I think it probably took me a month or so before I did the next one before or something like that, before they started being a little more consistent. And that whole time I was like pressing him for like for money, like to pay me to do these things. Um, and he, they, they just, it just wasn't a priority for him. He didn't see the value in it. And I think, uh, I ended up got 30, I think $35 a video, I think it was, which, you know, which is insane for anybody, even, you know, it was, it was just an insane amount of work for, for that amount of money. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, it, again, it led, it led me here. So I can't, I can't complain too much about it, but, you know, and it, and it also helped. I think changed the trajectory. I think obviously, obviously I, I feel like sneakers would have gotten into video at some point, but I think that the, the, the differentiation, the different, the differentiation, differentiation, what, I don't know what I'm, I'm trying to use big words on the podcast. Yeah. I'm trying to use big <laughs> words on podcasts to sound intelligent. People are watching this and go, like, we can look and see the truth. Um, yeah. Like it, it set me apart from everyone else that was doing sneaker stuff. And so like that kind of became my lane. And I think people started to see the value in it. Like, oh, like people like brands and, and you know, retailers were messing with me because I was doing that sort of video. And that's, I think, you know, money talks. And so, you know, other people were like, wait a minute, there's a check here. Let's let's find out how to get this check. Yeah. Yeah. So how long do you think it take it? Sorry. How long do you think it took you to edit that first video for oh, 35 God. bucks? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would imagine. I mean, because it was the first time between shooting it and editing it and, and trying to light it, like it was days. Like it was to get it all together, it took it took days. Like learning how to light, getting the getting the blanket, getting the getting you know memorizing the script, writing out the script, all of that stuff. Um, and you can even see that oh, when you watch the video, it's so cringy. Like I, I, I memorized it barely and you can see me going, uh, and, uh, the Nike, like, it's just, just so bad, but, uh, yeah, it probably, probably took days. And then like each one of those back then, but probably, it's probably taken me, I don't know, four or five hours to get a video done each time. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what camera you shot that on? I don't remember the name of it, but I do remember it was a, uh, it was like a little, it was a small point and shoot. I don't remember the exact name of it. I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it anymore. Um, I have, I have some of my older, I have some old point and shoots, but none of those are the actual one that I used. Um, yeah. so yeah, Unfortunately, how, well, no. how did that turn into, you know, you mentioned the brands wanting to work with you and, and, you know, seeing something there. Right. Do you remember like either the first time you either got in touch with a brand or, or maybe even got a free pair of shoes to do a video? Yeah. Uh, I, the, I'm going to say the first people that reached out to me was Jordan brand. Uh, this was when Josh Benedict was there. Uh, I think he was the first one to reach out to me. And, and I think he was the first person that invited me to a press trip. I think either they invited Khan and Khan sent it to me or they invited me directly. But I think that was the first time. I think this was 2011. I think it was 2011 was the first time I, like, I went on a press trip or maybe it might've been late 2010, but somewhere between 2010, and 2011, it was my first press trip. And like the first time that they, uh, that they started sending me stuff. 
Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's 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 such a different world now where there's so many yeah. events going on at all time. I mean, outside of pandemic, but um, I think it's it w- it was such a big deal back then too because there was only there was only a handful of things that I think as a sneaker blogger or a sneaker YouTuber when those terms weren't really familiar, right? Yeah. Um, getting to go, getting access to anything was, was, you know, the key, right? Because yeah, like you said, there was a very small group of people that got to do this stuff. And I, I mean, fast forward a few years and I, I always come back to you and I sitting next to each other at the SB awards, listening to Robin <laughs> Roberts and like, just like looking at each other, like how the, yeah. Frick How do we, we get, get here? here? How do and we get here? Yeah. We're wearing sneakers and suits and we're at the S. <laughs> it's like, it was like, <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now because yeah. it's just like, you know, I, I, I'm sure you probably have the similar family thing where nobody really understood sneakers, right? They just were yeah. like, well, Jacques just doing Jacques stuff and like, you know, <laughs> I'm just glad he's not getting into too much trouble anymore. Like that's basically right, how my yeah. parents always look at sneakers. Yep. So, um, yeah, no, so, it, it, it's, it's crazy that sneakers has, has been able to take us to where we are today. I, I would have never, I, I just, I would never have imagined it, but, um, now, but now, you know, the next generation, they see like, Oh, we, we were able to do this. Like how much further is the next generation going to go with sneakers? So it's going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's, it's broader too, right? There's outliers that, you, you know, my work in this whole world now has turned into helping the smaller people, right? And trying mm-hmm. to find people that, you know, maybe wouldn't be able to afford to put me on like a full salary. You know, if I was to take a full salary right. at, at any job again like the last time i did that is you know StockX. so i haven't been there in yeah two two and a half years and right even then like you know it's just it's tough because like you want you want to be a part of these bigger things and like i think you and i have talked about um this a lot but like what what was kind of as this all progressed for you where did your thought process where was your thought process around? Can I do this for Jordan brand directly? Or can I do this for Nike or Adidas directly? And, Mm. you know, what kept you, I guess, like, independent, you know, obviously work with all these brands at some point or another along the way, but like, what, what made you decide to to kind of stay in your own lane with all of this? Um, I think when, uh, I mean, I I feel like, you could see the value of what I was doing. And I knew there was value to it, especially as the production quality and things like that started to step up. And I, I had, I had to find a way to to really make my own individual voice. And I think the audience responded to that voice. And so I just had to find, um, I had to find what was making me unique. And once I found that and what, and what, what, what it was about me that was unique, that's when I started to, I started to reach out to the brands and like pitch ideas. Cause, and then you would see them do things and you'd be like, ah, that was cool, but here's an idea. I like this, or you can improve it this way. And like a lot, a lot of it started out that way where they would do something and I would hit them up like, yeah, like thanks for invite. This was cool. 
would have been more impactful if this would happen or if X would have happened or would you do would could you do this way next time or uh, when you consider the lighting like the the dark room with the the soloing the shoes looks great physically but it looks terrible on video and that's where and that's kind of where things are going so if you have a brightly lit room that's going to have a bigger impact and more people are going to be able to see your product in a way that you know that that makes it you know, they can really see the details and things like that and and so like that's kind of how it started for me and i kind of grew from there where i was i would just put together like a whole pitch deck on how I thought they could roll out the next shoe and I would send that to brands and and they would be, you know, obviously a, a lot of that stuff didn't happen, but some of it did. Um, that's how like the Blake Griffin thing happened in, in Santa Monica. Like I pitched the idea of like doing a live with Blake and linking up with sneakerheads around the country via, you know, via Google live or Google, whatever it was called back then um, and, and broadcasting that to the world. And that, that happened. Um, but it was an idea I had that I, that I emailed to a brand and they were, they were for it. Yeah. That's, it's funny. Cause I, I mean, I think we just take the same approach with this, right? Like there's, there's PR people and then there's brand people and you, you can with, with PR people, you know, to some extent you have to play the game of like, you, you're playing nice and you're, you know, wanting to yeah. be involved with whatever they're doing. And the best of those people are are very open to the criticism and the feedback and like the suggestions. Yeah. And then you get to the brand people who actually put in the work to make all that happen. And not just the person that was the conduit to the YouTube, the influencer world. Right. And yeah. I think that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, been my thing too, is like just building relationships further beyond what you see at those events. Right. Because it's a yeah. tough thing to do and it takes a lot of time. But it can be so lucrative for both sides, right? You know, yeah. when you're coming from the person that's, you know, having the experience to the person that's putting on the experience, those people should always be sitting in a room and having those conversations if if the world didn't have all these political or, you know, different corporations working together and everything. Yeah. But rarely does that happen, right? Because you don't, you know, and I'm not, I'm generalizing because some of the brands do do a really good job with like, you know, research groups and stuff like that. But yeah. um, that actually reminds me, I, I kind of forgot about it. But prior to that Blake Griffin thing, we tried to do that finish line Under Armour thing, right? Which one was, was that which prior one, to which was it? in New Orleans when we did the live stream? Oh yeah, that was. Gosh, was was that twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen? Jeez, yeah, that and I don't remember which one came first. Yeah, but that was. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, I forgot about this. It's kind too. of crazy forgot, how oh, far man. the technology. I forgot, is I forgot we did that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that would have been so much easier to do now than it would have than it was back then. Oh that yeah, was, that was I mean, like struggle city to pull that together. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, I ran god. down the mall the Radio Shack like five times buying different yep. <laughs> cables and extensions and it's like, okay, we're gonna make this work. Yeah. Um, that was for that was before Curry was big. That was before he like he like really that, blew up. That was like right when he signed with Under Armour and I mean he didn't even have a shoe, right? It was like the right. the, yeah, the anatomic, anatomic spawns. An, yeah, yeah, anatomic spawns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, man. God, I forgot all about that. Wow. Yeah. And it, and it's crazy, too, because I, I felt like in that moment, I was in over my head. I didn't know, you know, I was leaning on you quite a bit to 
just make sure that we could figure it all out because yep. I knew that it was what finish line should be doing. I knew that Under Armour would, would green light it, but like, I really was like intimidated going into that whole event <laughs> because, you know, like you're, you're, you're trying to live stream an event with, you know, four or five, six people on Google Hangouts, but you don't actually have any dedicated internet. You know, we, we were using basically like the, the mall Wi-Fi at the time, which yeah. you know, <laughs> oh this is before God. there are repeaters or mesh networks or anything like that. Yeah. Right? Like it was yeah. very oh. like just seat of the pants. Like, let's just go for it. Yeah. Um, we made it work, and, though. We made it work. <laughs> yeah, it, it turned out pretty good. And I, I, I came across some pictures from that um, maybe a couple months ago or no, I came across a, a little short video on my phone because I was I was actually standing behind Steph while he was taking threes. I don't know if you remember, but the little kid beat him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He missed his last shot. So the little this, you know, I I wish I would love to be able to get in touch with that kid. But, you know, he was maybe like eight, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And uh, he was just like buckets all the way around this court in the middle of the mall. And uh, yeah, it was it was such a good it was such a good time. And, you know, I think kind of spoke to like how we were able to be in the right place at the right time with a lot of this stuff where, you know, everybody's trying to figure it out. And I think now, you know, fast forward five, seven years, whatever it's been, a lot of this stuff is just like standardized, you know, experience for marketing and content. So, um, and at that time, like, obviously you and I just had a relationship and we, I mean, I feel like we probably pitched complex finish line footlocker. I mean, you name it, we probably pitched people ideas, um, just repeatedly, but from that and, and kind of, you know, from obviously from the Blake Griffin, you were able to move into doing stuff with Kobe, uh, mm-hmm. in, in LA and working with Nike in LA on a lot of really cool projects. Yeah. So how, how did all of that come about? And like, on top of that, at what point did you say, there's too much of this going on for me to keep up the YouTube stuff? How do I bring in like other people to work on this? Cause other people to help people, people see you on camera, but you know, there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes to make all of these things fit into place for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so to answer the first part of that question, I would say the, the, the way the other work started to come is like when people saw the work, I think that's when they was like, Oh, we can do some things with him outside of the normal PR sort of thing. And he does have ideas and he does think about strategy and he does think about uh, authenticity and he does think about the business side of things. Like all of that stuff started to kind of fall in play. And it takes, I mean, it, it takes you doing something like that for brands to see that often, oftentimes brands or PR or agencies or marketing or whatever, they, they need to see you do something in order for them to do something with you. Their job is on the line. Like they have to, you know, as many of us have great ideas, they want to know, they want to be, a, they want to know that you can execute those ideas. And, um, once they saw like the stuff that happened on the Santa Monica Pier, like that's, well, not Santa Monica Pier, the Santa Monica Mall, they kind of saw like, okay, he can help execute an idea and kind of bring it to fruition and, and, you know, do something that benefits the brand. So like, that's how that part came along. Um, But as things started to get really busy and uh, started to kind of really kind of go over my head, um, 
that's when I started to re our, uh, I, I linked up with the manager. And so I have a manager now that does, that helps with like the business side of things. So I focus mostly on the creative side. Like I stay in, in tune with the business side just because I want to always be able to learn. And, and so like, that's an, a point, an, an important area that I think I need to have access to and to have an understanding of. And my manager handles the rest of the business stuff. Like I don't talk numbers with anybody now. All with me now, it's just ideas and that's it. Like I don't, I don't talk about any of the numbers, how much things are going to cost, how much my fee is or any like the terms or any of that kind of stuff. Me, it's just like, all right, this is the idea I have for that. Um, just because it allows me to kind of live in that space, which is really the space that I should be in. Um, and you know, the technical stuff can be done with somebody else. Yeah, I think one thing too, just to go back a little bit, there's there's an interesting piece to this where you kind of got to feel out who you're working with and who your how how your relationship is with all these people, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I remember times where you and I would talk about, um, you know, part part of part of your growth with YouTube for a while was getting you know very limited boxes, cool yeah. unboxing stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in that early kind of transitioning into YouTube, you know, I mean, your transition to YouTube was, a, a you know, was kind of, I guess, forced, right? Like, <laughs> right. You yeah. just were like, I'm going for this. But um, there's, there was a, a, a time where you had to kind of figure out if you were pitching an idea, are you pitching this as a, as a, you know, as yourself doing it as like mm. bringing a team of people to help me execute on it? Cause obviously if you're on camera, you're, you're, you know, and you're pitching a big idea, you need other people, you know, potentially doing all this other, you know, behind the scenes work to make it happen. And yeah. at that time, you know, like it was almost like you were categorized as a sneaker YouTuber. So people didn't necessarily look at you as someone who could, take on a, a, a big project. Right. Right. And I think that's something that might be good for, you know, like the younger generation to kind of understand how, you know, certain people are, are viewing you through a, a certain lens, right. They're viewing you yeah. from their job. And if, if they're not the one that says, Hey, you know, go ahead and do this and we can pay you then that's not the right person to ask. Right. And right. I mean, I'm sure you could probably think of many times where, you know, you presented an idea and then, you know, either didn't get to execute on it or potentially didn't even get to go on the press trip because you were kind of in this weird in between world of like overly creative and full of ideas, but also they just wanted to make sure that, you know, they were not giving you favoritism for your channel versus other channels and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Do yeah. you think that, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say that, that was a big thing. That was something that one of the, I would say roadblocks that I ran into is a lot of times these brands, and, and I don't know if it's authentic or not, but they'll say, oh, well, we can't, we can't necessarily do that with you because we don't want to show you favor favoritism or um, we want it to, still like we don't want people to think that it's it's tarnishing the relationship or anything like that and i'm just like and you know i i get from a philosophical standpoint i get that 
sort of thing. But in reality, like, like that's just not how things work. That's just not how things work anymore. And like there are influencers doing huge, amazing things, becoming brands of their own, even before like this is, you know, four or five years ago, this is already happening. And and so like that, it, it was a, it was a tightrope tightrope that definitely needed to be walked in certain situations. Um, and it, it, it was cause for a lot of frustration. But I guess I think also think that frustration forced, you know, you into like, uh, how do I make, the, you know, what what how can I do this on my own or how can I execute this at some level on my own to get that sort of to show them, you know, the value in it? Yeah. Do, what, what would you I mean, I'm sure young creatives probably still run into that same type of thing. What would you suggest, you know, or do you have any experience in that that like you could think of where, you know, maybe just navigating that? Because it, it's it's obviously improved greatly in even just like five years, like you said. Yeah. But I sure. feel like sure. in my conversations, I, I am just in this weird spot with all of this stuff, right? Like I'm not typically on camera. You know, the stuff mm -hmm. we've done together, I've been on camera and I'll hop on your videos occasionally. But like, I'm not putting out a lot of content to be consumed by consumers. And mm. most of my stuff is like a part of something else. And what I do to make money is usually behind the scenes in like connecting people or creating content for someone else mm. to right. use for their channels. And it's been an interesting thing for me because I've gone back and forth as to like, should I be more out front and like doing this stuff? But it's not really my nature, right? Like, I really just want to help other people do their stuff. Like, mm. at this point, like, it's a piece of all of it, right? Like, I should be creating my own so I can network more. And I will be and I do. And and like, that's part of this coming back and bringing right, this back. Right. right but right, I also, right. at the end of the day, if I had the choice to be creating, you know, have your role in this world of sneakers or have my role, I would still choose mine and kind of just be floating behind the scenes and like connecting people because that's what I love doing is creating opportunities for people. Yeah. But I think, I think there's still this like really tough water to navigate for, for creatives because especially because there's, there's brands looking to like almost latch on to that like next young sensation. Right. And yeah. I think, I don't mean to villainize the brands because ultimately it's just people behind the scenes that you're working with. And it's not a, it's not this evil entity the way, like, you know, a lot of people may assume it is based yeah. on their Twitter feed, yeah, but yeah. like, could you maybe even give some advice or talk to that a little bit? The, the thing that I, I always tell young creators, cause a lot of, a lot of times people will reach out to me and want to know, how do we work with brands like you work with brands? And, uh, you know, it, it, there's, there's no simple answer for that. Honestly, it's not like, Oh, email Bob at Nike.com. Like that's, it's not that simple. A lot of times like you need to put in the work ahead of time to show them that it's, you know, that it's something worth that's worth spending their time in. Like they're, you know, again, these are, these are people and if they can't just go to someone who has who has no content online and be like, oh, OK, we're going to we're going to follow your plan. Like we're going to do that for the launch of the Curry 7 or whatever, Curry 8, whatever it is like you need to have like what like give them something to work with. 
And I think that is going to make it easier for you. Put together a portfolio, start doing mock commercials or mock activations or, or mock releases or whatever it is, like start building that buzz for yourself already so that if someone looks at your stuff, they go, oh, this guy does know what he's doing. You know, if you're going to you want you want to help a merch brand d- develop a line of merch, you know, what I mean, do 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 take the steps necessary. I, I, a lot of people just want be like, oh, OK, who is there someone I can email? No, it's not. It doesn't work like that. Like I did videos for years before a brand would ever deal with me in that way where I could pitch them an idea and they would use it as part of their program. And then you also have to think these brands are paying agencies million dollar retainers. You know what I mean? And for you to come to, to pitch them an idea. And they're like, well, why are we paying this retainer? And they have, and they have somebody, somebody on that at that brand has to justify paying that retainer to that agency. Um, and they can't be like, well, this sneaker blogger from YouTube came up with this idea, and they're like, well, why, why are we paying this retainer? Uh, you're paying this agency a million dollars. Like, you got you know. So there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of politics involved, but I would say the most important part of the politics is like you putting together work to show them that you you understand and that you can do the job. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I, and I think I would take it one step further and just say, I mean, just be relentless with the amount of people you're reaching out to and the number of times mm-hmm. to reach out to people, because I, my myself, I don't even have a large following online, but it's, you know, re- relative to like you and, and a lot of other people, but like, it's still massively stressful to try to keep up with all the different places that people are reaching out. Right. Like it's, you know, when you, when you manage, you know, for me, like managing a handful of accounts and then managing a handful of accounts for other people. And then like, how do I, how do I keep up on all of these things? Right. Like there's just so many different places where people can reach out. And I think that I personally, it's not that I don't want to have conversation with everybody that reaches out. It's just that I don't have enough time in a day yeah, you to can't. do all the things that I need to do. Yeah, you So can. I was trying to think of like, I don't want to get into specific examples, but I was trying to think of like, you know, maybe the first time that you and I kind of went to somebody with an idea and it must've been complex when I was there, um, which I feel like we basically presented ideas five times a week uh to them yeah i was gonna say yeah we get we, we pitched a lot especially on the video side this was before they were super serious about video we were pitching all kinds of stuff yeah and and i think that to me has always kind of been like the thing of like although like there are a lot of ideas that i wish we i mean there's a lot of ideas that i wish we could have done back then and there's still some ideas that you and i will bring up and be like yeah why haven't we done that yet yeah right? yeah we just go through our emails and be like oh whoa <laughs> huh it's a good idea. But, I, but I think that there's probably, you know, there's, there's this whole, uh, there's the nature of, of like, you know, let's, let's pick on Instagram because it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. Instagram DMs, somebody sees that you read your, their message and didn't, you don't get back to them. Right. So the perception on the person that sent, sent that message, cause I've been there too, is that, oh, they did, they saw it and they didn't think it was a good idea, but like, mm. I feel like you could present a thousand ideas and probably only get one to two of them to take action, mainly yeah. because when when you're, you know, for me, like and you and I in our working relationship with just coming up with concepts and ideas, 
I mean, there's there's got to be a hundred, a thousand that we've discussed and we've, you know, found some that work and found some that don't. But I don't think that any of those were bad ideas. And I think that's one of the things that the like the younger creatives could look at and say, look, there's a lot of opportunity to just continuing to ask and finding new people to ask, because to your point, if, you, if you've shown that you can do these things, whether that's on your personal channel or publicly, or you sent that, you know, unlisted video and said, you know, hey, this is what we want to do for you. Right. Sometimes it takes knocking on that door 10, 20 times before the, the right person answers and says, you know what, why didn't yeah. we do this earlier? Yep. And yeah. I think I mean, that's that, a really. That's, yeah, I was gonna say that goes to this. that spirit of like, just not giving up. Um, and, and this, but this also leans into something else. Like, why are you doing it? Like, if you're doing it for the money, are you doing it for the fortune, for the fame? Like, those are the wrong reasons. I'm not saying that can inspire you to do some amazing things, but those are the wrong reasons to do it because like, and, you know, and I've said this before, when you start creating, like nobody cares and you have to yep. be okay with that. You have to be okay with the fact that nobody cares. And if you're creating for the, just to get likes or for the social clout, you're going to be disappointed really soon on a very rare occasion. Does someone hit it, hit a, a, a home run on the first pitch, but more often than not, it's going to take you a bunch of swings before something really pops off. And you need to be able to do that and be okay with that. Be okay with having 10 views on a video or two likes on a post um, for months or and maybe even years, but be, being okay with that because you're not creating for the money and then eventually the money will come. So just be cognizant of that. Yeah, I, I think that leads me into another part of this conversation is, you know, the the perception from for a lot of people is probably that, you know, once you get to X amount of subscribers or X amount of followers, that everything you do is a success. So talk a little bit about your experience with that, because I have my own experience with that just simply on like Instagram, right, where it's like, yeah, at some point. I had X amount of followers and I got, you know, a, a pretty large percentage of interaction out of those followers. And as time has changed and you move away for me personally, move into more personal Instagram, as opposed to just sneakers all the time, you know, the, the number of people that actually see the stuff that I post is just, you know, minimal yeah. compared to what it used to be. But yeah. like that happens in your world on YouTube too, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think it, hap it happens on every platform. Uh, if you've been on the platform for a long time, you have to think how different the world was 10 years ago. So people that followed you 10 years ago for a certain reason aren't aren't going to follow you the same for the same reasons today. Someone followed you for sneakers back in in 2010 or, or whatever it was Twitter first started in 2020. They're not 13 anymore. They're They're 23. And or or if they were 23, then they're 33 and they're in a different phase of their life. So your content may not resonate with them the same way that it did when they were in high school or when they were in college or when they were in elementary school, or whatever it was. So those are all things you have to consider. And, and, you know, you see these people with these large followings and they don't have a ton of likes or whatever it is. A lot of it is because a lot of their following are people that have been there for years and decades. And that's why it doesn't necessarily resonate. Their, their content doesn't resonate with that audience or with that person 
anymore. It doesn't mean their con their content is any less qualified or good or anything like that. It's just a matter of how old their audience is or where their audience is changing or where the trends have shifted. And sometimes it's just that a creator hasn't shifted with the times and they're still creating the same content they were doing 10 years ago. And people are kind of people people are kind of over that. You know, you, you have to realize creating content, you have to kind of stay relevant to the times and in not not that you need to change your content, but you need to recognize the way that people look at content and and not change your voice but create in a way that resonates still with the current generation. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's spot on too. I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't like you and I as friends all these years, I don't even remember the last time we had a conversation about what we thought about shoes. Like, Oh God, we almost never talk about actual physical shoes, right? Like we never talk yeah. about, a pair of sneakers. I mean, sometimes w when we're doing a, when we're creating content, content around it, yeah, we're obviously going to talk about things here and there, but like my relationships have evolved so much in that too. Like sneakers for me is just a conduit to like talk about more important things. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the next gener the next, you know, the future of this podcast is hopefully going to become that where I have all these incredible relationships with people in the sneaker world. I don't necessarily get to talk to them regularly enough. And I don't, I only consume, you know, sneaker content from a handful of people and on a regular basis. And then I kind of check in with everybody else, you know, every week or two or a month or whatever, yeah. based on, based on like what my relationship is. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to think about the evolution of all of these platforms and the followings. And, you know, eventually, you know, like you, you have people that you connected with maybe because of sneakers, but you know, you grow apart in that yeah. sense, right? Like yeah. if that person goes into, you know, college or having kids or beyond, right? Like all those things in life take you away from being talking about it 24 seven. Yeah. So maybe that person only hops into the sneaker world, you know, once a month or something and they'll catch up on your video or they'll, you know, maybe have a, a shoe that they actually like, but at the end of the day, their priorities have changed too. And I think that's been something that I've really been, you know, like very aware of in this whole mm -hmm. pandemic and, and the way things have changed because I personally, I mean, I'm surrounded by shoes. Like I, I, I love sneakers, but I, I love what they've done for me and the people they've connected me with. I don't care about the physical shoes the yeah. way that, the 17 year old me who couldn't get them cared about them. And right. once you figure out how to, to get your hands on them and buy them and, you know, make your money and all that stuff in life, you kind of evolve into like, well, I want to make a bigger difference. So for me, this pandemic has also shifted the way I've thought because a handful of guys on the sneaker history podcast have reached out and just said, Hey, thanks for creating these podcasts because I still wow. got to go to work. And this is something that gives me the escape from what's going on in the world. That's dope. And that was like such a like emotional thing for me because for a long time, I mean, you know, I've talked to you about it. Like I've struggled with like, do I want to keep doing all this stuff? Like what is yeah. the point of all this stuff with sneakers? Because at the end of the day, you know, we don't need to consume as many sneakers as we do. And, right. you know, I don't have the, I don't have enough days to wear all the sneakers that I have. And it's like, 
mm-hmm. obviously love giving back and introducing people to job opportunities and you know that kind of stuff and sneakers for me has been the way that I could get in the door with a lot of these brands right especially mm-hmm. outside of the big 3 or 4 yeah i've got a lot of those other brands and i can say look i've been around f- supporting you for a really long time right how can we work together or what conversations can we have to further this relationship and sometimes that's just in an effort to get somebody else an opportunity to talk to one of those brands or one of those retailers yeah. but i never really thought of what i'm doing because i don't have like the massive audience like yourself or some of these other creatives i don't really think about it in that way i mean we have a decent amount of people listening to the sneaker history podcast now but it's it's so small in relation to the numbers on youtube and and you know the podcasts uh, yeah. that i listen to are very inspirational and they have massive followings and all that stuff but like it's not a it's not sneaker related so right i never really thought of where i was at in that space to like be that escape for people. And it made me kind of shift and think, how can I do that? Where, you know, how can I take this podcast and turn it into a more personal, more in-depth way to let people dig into like who you are and, you know, me kind of feel personally get to feel like I'm having more poignant and, and, you know, inspirational conversations. So I think it's really dope that, you know, like we were able to connect and and kind of do this. And I really wanted to start with you once I started thinking about this, because obviously you're continually an inspiration to me. I still want to be a rapper like you. I still want to be a sneaker YouTuber like you. Uh, (laughs) But honestly, uh, like, I just love these kind of conversations. And this, even though we're recording it and it will get published someplace, is very similar to like some of our conversations that just happen naturally where it's like just finding our way in all of this stuff. So that said, where do you see yourself in this, in the next five, you know, I mean, Mm. it's hard to say five years is a long time, right? If you think back five years, but like what's the future of your kind of journey with, with YouTube and with sneakers and all of that stuff. And what, what's like the, the dream for you to, to, you know, maybe like where you see it at and like the aspirational, somebody just, you know, says, Hey, the power is yours. You do anything in the world you want to do in regards to sneakers and YouTube. What do you do next? God, there's a lot of parts to that. Um, so in the next five years, um, I'd like to direct a sneaker commercial, uh, whether that's like the Foot Locker week of greatness or the, rollout of the Kanye XX 50 or whatever it is. Um, I'd like to direct a sneaker commercial. I think that would be awesome. Um, I'd like to continue what I'm doing on YouTube. I think that's always kind of going to be there. Um, I'd like to do a sitcom about sneakers in some way, obviously a sitcom about people, but sneakers be the, the, you know, the conduit, as you say, um, I want to be, uh, I want to do a movie. I want to be like in a movie and like represent like the, like show people that you can go from YouTube to being in a movie and like be a sneaker guy. And like, it's all, it's all part of the, part of the, part of the process. Um, and I I think kind of just continue doing what I'm doing, helping out brands with marketing and, and stuff like that, you know, doing crazy unboxings, uh, you know, and, and really kind of engaging with the community, you know, I'm doing hosting a lot. I want to do a little more hosting, 
like I'm doing I host two shows on Snapchat, like just kind of bring hopefully bringing that and like really just bridge, I guess, bridge the gap between like traditional and, and digital in a way that, that, that keeps it authentic to me and, and, and is able to really show the potential for whoever the next generation is going to be that like, don't let YouTube be the end all be all. Cause there's so much more out there and, and push yourself to, to tell stories and keep it authentic in, in your own personal way and use your own voice. Cause that's really what's important. So I guess in a sense, keep doing what I'm doing, but you know, take those opportunities up a notch if possible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that kind of makes me think, uh, there was a, I, I forget, it's like the Forbes 30 under 30 or something. And I think, uh, I think David Dobrik was on there as a TikTok star. And I just thought, well, right. I knew him on YouTube first, YouTube. right? But like, he's right. been very successful. Um, but it made me think, uh, as you were saying, you know, there's obviously, we've talked about this a lot over the years where there's the kind of creating for the, you know, vertical snapchat experience and then there's the creating for you know your traditional film and and you know youtube on a on a on a tv at least um do you have a preference between those two at all or do you see i mean quibi was supposed to be that you know in between yeah. but that's not there anymore so where do you see like those kind of things going do you think that that you know people will be consuming more of this on their on their phones or yeah. you know will we will we eventually kind of get to the point where all of us are having, you know, folding tablets that are, you know, larger screen in our pocket kind of thing. Yeah. Augmented reality looking in through <laughs> our glasses. I, I think all yeah. of that, I think obviously it's trending more to a more individualized experience as opposed to like the community experience, which we, which is what TV and which is what like the movies are. I think the the experience is definitely going more towards the individual, but I don't think anything is going to go away anytime soon. TV is not going away anytime soon. Movies aren't going away anytime soon. Um, and vertical, you know, social content isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So I think all three are four, depending on how you look at it, of those things will continue to exist in tandem. Um, it's just a matter of how, how, you know, how the generation consumes that content, which is where it'll be seen. Gotcha. How, yeah. How do you, or or what would you suggest for kind of that like aspiring sneaker YouTuber in regards to all of those different platforms? You know, it, it can be overwhelming to try to keep up on all of them. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, for sure. And, you know, like we've talked about that many, many times, but like if you were to say, you know, 16 year old, you know, Jacques right now, like what, what would you suggest to that like next generation as far as deciding on those platforms and, you know, where, where do they put their energy and efforts into, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. I would just tell just to create regardless, wherever it is you feel comfortable or on all of them, just create, like, don't worry about what it means or who's seeing it or, or what the numbers look like. Just create, don't like, don't let the, don't let the social or, no, I shouldn't say so. Don't let the clout perspective of it cloud your creative process. Whether some people likes it, like whether you get 15 likes or 1500 likes, that doesn't mean it was good or bad. Like that doesn't, that's not the bar. Like don't let the likes or the engagement 
be the bar of whether or not you create a good content. There's plenty of people that you have never heard of that create great content that are doing tons of things behind the scenes that you'd never even know about. So don't, don't let the engagement or the likes be your, be your, be your, uh, be the bar. Um, let, let your own creative energy and your own creative pursuit of that pure vision of yours, let that be the bar of whether it's good or not. Yeah, that's, that's something I need to, to, to keep in mind myself, I think. Oh, same. Anyway. I need to keep it in mind myself. <laughs> uh, same here. Same here. Same here. It's easy, easier said than done for sure. So uh, let, let's say that it's easier said than done. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess, I guess that's probably it. Is there anything else that you specifically want to talk about? And you know, no, uh, just thank you for having me, having me on the podcast, man. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously we're friends and, and I, I love what you do and, you know, you're, you're a very, a very respected voice in, in the community. And, um, I'm always, always happy to be able to support and, and very thankful that, um, that, you know, that I can actually call you a friend and, um, that we've been able to work together all of these years. And, you know, the hope, hope is obviously, that in the future, a lot more opportunities come down the line uh, for us to do things together. And I, I think it's just a matter of time before before those things come. And, you know, we can retire on the beach and not even wear sneakers. We just wear like sandals. <laughs> we just wear like we wear sandals and linen, you know, yeah. <laughs> we wear sandals yeah. and linen and, and fish. You know, it's, it's the life that we live or, or in your terms, like you you're on a in somebody's garage somewhere tinkering with a wrench <laughs> taking taking some car apart <laughs> adding on some sort of carbon fiber or something i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean I, it's funny because i that that really is like the 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 gist of it for me is like how do i just give back right like even like just in the car world it's totally off topic but even in the car world like the dream for me would be to like let me just do all this work and like bring people in to help me and put together this stuff and then be like, here, where's the, where's the kid that deserves this? Or, you know, maybe yeah. where's the, like the, the, the dad or the mom that always dreamed of this car and, you know, I get to gift it to them because I've been able to create around it. But that's, that's, yeah. you know, obviously for another channel and another day and all of those things. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think one thing that I wanted to kind of go back on that you said just, and the reason why I asked kind of where you see the future of all this stuff, because I really do think that you can, kind of put that stuff into the universe and and make it happen. And we'll have to talk after after we stop recording. But I think, you know, uh, there's a good possibility the movie is something that I I I can connect you with somebody that will definitely want to make that happen with you. So there um, we go. And I and it I think is. that's part of these conversations, hopefully, is to, you know, like find ways to support each other and connect people and just you know, make, make these dreams come true, man. Like, yep. I, you know, we're only opportunities getting there, man. older and now's the time, right? So yeah, absolutely the time. 100%. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, I, you know, man, I just, I just appreciate you as a friend and, you know, appreciate what you do and it's, it's been awesome talking to you. So thanks for, thanks for spending an hour with me and, and chopping it up. No problem. Thank you for having me on. This is it. Make sure you subscribe link uh like i don't know do all the stuff you do to a podcast people you know what i'm talking about you know how to engage with it or in you know exactly. engross exactly. yourself in the podcast you know what he, you know what we're talking about <laughs> right on well we appreciate you guys listening uh we'll catch you next time peace right. peace